God is good. And we need each other. Amen? Amen. Galatians chapter 6 is very clear. We all have burdens that we carry. And sometimes those burdens get so heavy that you need your brothers and sisters to come alongside you and help you carry that load. Uh, That is why we exist as a church. Not only do we come together to hear the gospel and to worship creator God who saves us from our sin, but we need each other in this life. It's the second part of our discipleship strategy. It's why we have small groups and forge groups and dwell groups. If you find yourself in this room and you're kind of, you're kind of on your own. You can't, you're not, you don't, uh, you, you, you haven't found your people yet that you can uh, kind of do life with. Please circle through a couple small groups. Find some people. You need to be known and you need to know others. That way, when you need a helping hand, people are there to help you. Uh, and when others around you need help, you're there to help them. It's the beauty of the church uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are going to finish up today. Can you believe it's taken five or six weeks to walk through this question, can we eat meat sacrificed in a pagan altar? Why is it? Some of you are like, oh, this is so not germane to my life. Uh, but it is. Hasn't it been very germane if you've got your ears open because we live in a world where... Scripture doesn't forbid everything. There are things Scripture forbids, and those things we cannot justify ever. When God says no sexual immorality, he means no sexual immorality outside the boundaries of Christian marriage between a man and a woman. That can't be fudged. That can't, you can't have a different opinion. God is very clear. What were the four things from, uh, I think it was two weeks ago? Idolatry. Uh, uh, sexual immorality, grumbling, and testing God. There is no room in Christian life for that. But there's a lot of freedoms that God gives. There's a lot of things that God doesn't forbid. Some of you are going to go get into a Jeep this afternoon. You're going to take the doors off and the tops off. And yes, I'm jealous. And you're going to turn on CCR. And you're going to jam down to Red Top Mountain and enjoy a day. And praise God. There's going to be some Christians that think you're a hellion. (laughs) But there are Christian freedoms that we have in this room alone. Some of you choose to go to a professional MD, medical doctor, and they practice medicine on you. That's what you trust when you get sick. Others of you go to some weird homeopathic witch doctor. I went, into a, I went into a place one time, and I was having some issues with some muscles. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't an MD. He was a chiropractor guy. And if you're a chiropractor, I love you, but th- this is going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> he, he told me, he was like, take these supplements. And I was like, well, how many of these am I supposed to take? He said, hold out your hands like this. So I held out my hands. He was like, now hold them as strong as you can. And then he took his hands, and he went, huh, 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 three times. He said, take three of these every day. That was the last time I went there, because that's just weird. <laughs> but, there's a, but there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of freedom. 
Some of you are Count Chocula people. Some of you are Cinnamon Toast Crunch people. There's a lot of freedom. Today we're going to talk, the, the big idea of the text is the purpose of the freedoms that God gives. Some of you like to burn incense in your home. Some of you are essential oils people. Some of you are vitamin and supplements people. Some of you, uh, you even chew marijuana gummies because that's a legal thing to do. Some of you drink alcohol. Some of you eat meat. Some of you won't eat meat. There's a lot of choices that we have as Christians that we're processing. And we have to make, this is why chapter 8, 9, if you ever find yourself at odds with another Christian, you got to go to the Bible, you got to figure out how to work things out where we maintain unity as the body and don't fight over secondary matters, secondary issues that are not clear in Scripture. Because isn't it true, haven't you all met that Karen not a real Karen. And for Karen Mackin, one of our elders' wives, we are not talking about you. You are sweet and precious. And if your name is Karen in the room, I'm sorry. But socially, we've got a word for people who are always making a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. I moved into a new neighborhood recently, and I just met one of my neighbors yesterday. I was out with the dogs, and he came over and introduced himself. And he said, man, you're going to like living here because that's how everybody talks in Carsville. I don't know if you know that or not. He's like, you're going to like living here, man. Everybody's chill. Everybody's laid back. He said, except there's one Karen down at the end of the street. If you talk too fast, she's going she's gonna to come out and get on to you. Everybody knows. Everybody in my new neighborhood knows that lady. <laughs> chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10 is going to help you not be that person. Because we live in a society where everybody's got an opinion and everybody thinks their opinion is better than the next person. And instead of learning, instead of, you remember that old John Travolta movie, Be Cool? I can't remember the movie very much and it may be a bad movie, so I'm not endorsing it. But throughout the whole movie, John Travolta is just, be cool, just be cool, be cool. If I had a name for this sermon, it would be, be cool, just be cool. Let's read the text. And we're actually going to start at the end. Uh, because there is a purpose that God gives us these freedoms to make all the choices that we make on a daily basis. Starting in verse 23, let's read all the way to chapter 11, verse 1, and then we'll pray. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you we do not have to trust our opinions. Thank you that that we do not uh, trust uh, our preferences. But above all things, we trust your word to lead us and guide us in the freedom that you've given us that we may glorify you with our lives. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, some of you may be, after chapter 8, chapter 9, and all of chapter 10 almost, you may be exhausted asking yourself the question, man, do I really have to figure out and do a deep historical dive of, of everything that I am putting before my family on the dinner table? And the answer is no. Praise God. When you're walking down uh, the, the aisle at Publix or at Ingalls or at Kroger, you don't have to, when you're choosing some pinto beans, you don't have to wonder, is Goya the most righteous pinto bean? Or is Hunt's? Or what, what's the one with the talking dog? What is, is it Bush's beans? <laughs> Which one of these are the best CEOs? Which one of these are Christian organizations? Look, praise God, there are times, as we have seen just the last little while, Bud Light was the number one selling beer in the country, and they went too far in their marketing, offending everybody in the world that's normal. And, and Bud Light users said no, and they have lost. They're not even in the top 10 beers any longer in this country, and I think that's awesome. Praise God. I was at a wedding, and uh, there was a bar, and all they had was Bud Light, and everybody was just like, uh, I asked that. I was like, is anybody drinking that? Because there was a lot of church people there. And she's like, no, nobody wants Bud Light. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> they need to feel the sting, right? Target? <laughs> you know, I still have, I got a daughter. She's like, Dad, I just like Target better. And she's like, there's gay stuff everywhere. So what's the big deal? I was like, Target is, uh, is, 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 is taking gay stuff and, and making it in kindergarten size clothes. That's the big deal. They're proselytizing children. That's the big deal. I'm glad they're feeling the sting. I'm glad their money's being affected. But ultimately... You can't live your life wondering what every CEO believes or if every uh, place out there, what agenda they're trying to, to promote. We don't have to exhaust ourselves as Christians. There is a liberty to walk down the aisle and even if it's a pagan company doing pagan stuff, you can buy those beans and feed your kids and not have to worry at all. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Praise God for that, right? Nope. Okay. <laughs> the big idea. Why does God allow us to, to uh, all these freedoms? So that we can use this life that he has given us to bring glory to him. Look with me. We're going to start at the end. Verse 31. 
So whether you eat or whether you drink, look, there are some people, I know people, who in the creation, right, death was not a part of what God created. Not until sin entered the world did, was death part of the reality that we experience. The first animal killed was slaughtered by God himself to show us so that everyone would know sin brings death. Something's got, when sin occurs, someone has to die. So we would see Jesus and the perfect sacrifice that he was for our sins at the perfect time in human history. But before that, there was no death. Adam and Eve were really, literally vegetarians. They had a garden in which they only had the fruits and the vegetables that were growing there. So there are some Christians who are, we're, we don't eat meat because it's not part of original creation that God called good. All death is from sin. So we're, we're not going to kill animals. Listen. I love you. You have every right to think that way. Be a vegetarian to the glory of God. Amen. Just don't expect to get invited to my hunting trip. <laughs> right? Because it doesn't matter what you eat. Whatever it is you're eating, do it to the glory of God. Whatever it is you're drinking, do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, our lives should reflect that's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. It's not because we're saviors. He's the savior. But our lives should reflect the salvation and the redemption that he has given us. Our freedom is given to us. The choices we make should shine a spotlight on a creator, Yahweh God, who has given us this breath that we are breathing, this life that we are living if you've ever done any catechisms with your kids, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we talk about the glory of God, there, there's two kind of theological concepts with God's glory. There is a, his inherent glory. God doesn't need anything from us. He is glorious because of who he already is, who he's always been. No beginning, no ending, just him in and of himself. He is glorious regardless what we do. So there is the inherent glory of God, but then there is the ascribed glory of God. Uh, pull up Psalm uh, for me. Psalm uh, 29 verses 1 and 2. And I probably didn't give you that, and I'm sorry. And I didn't do this last service. This is just, second service gets a whole new sermon. All right? So it's good. A Psalm of David. Ascribe. This is ascribed glory. There's his inherent glory. Whether we worship him or not, he's still glorious. But we as his people are to ascribe, we're to proclaim, we're to uh, detail how glorious he is. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Even the angels are doing this. God doesn't need it, but, but we created by him, we should ascribe to him the glory that he deserves. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Look at verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 
We are to give God glory with our lives through all the decisions that we make, through all of the freedoms that we enjoy in this life. Look, at I just did a quick little study yesterday and put this slide together because I want you to see how it sounds so lofty. It sounds so theologically uh, out there, but it's very practical. The ways that we're called to bring glory to God. Look at this chart. First, how, how do we live in a way that brings glory to God? In what we're eating and everything we're doing? The confession of sin brings glory to God. Now, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a church where no one ever talked about sin. No one ever confessed sin. I almost wanted to be Catholic for a little while because at least they had a booth where you could confess your sin. Confession of sin should be normative to Christians. But, but in church culture that I grew up in, everybody, it was Sunday's best. Everybody's smiling. Their house is on fire before. Uh, their house is on fire behind them and they walk into church. Everything's fine. How are you doing? My husband left me, but it's good. It's good. <laughs> Nothing going on here. Scared to death to show any kind of weakness because church people can be kind of terrible. And you know, sister, someone said, well, you know her, she did. Blah, 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 blah. Blah. This should be the safest place. This should be a place where confession of sin is, is honored and seen as spiritual maturity, not spiritual immaturity. Because confessing our sin brings glory to God. When Achan uh, sins in the Old Testament, and we don't, we're not going to go to those verses. We don't have time. But when Achan sins against the Lord, Joshua says, what have you done? Confess your sin and bring glory to God. The confession of sin glorifies God. Because what is the confession of sin? I'm not okay you're okay. I'm not good. You're good. I'm a sinner in need of salvation, and you are the Savior. I know where I can run when I mess up, when I stumble, when I fall. I know where I can go, where my brothers and sisters won't finish me off. And <laughs> Confessing sin shouldn't be like a horse breaking a leg. Put him out of his misery, which is the church I grew up in. Nobody dared say anything that they were struggling with. Church should be the place where we have brothers and sisters to come alongside us and say, man, I struggle with stuff too. Praise God. That's why we have to remind us every week that, that public corporate confession of sin together. We are sinners. We need a Savior. It brings glory to God when we confess our sin, when we trust God. You remember the story of Abraham. Let's go ahead and read Romans 4, verse 20. That's just one verse. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. If you read all of chapter 4, this is talking about Abraham. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. What were the two things from uh, last week that, that, that is forbidden? To test God. Your plan's not good. And to grumble against him. Abraham, in his 90s, still doesn't have a child. He's been told, as much as the stars in the sky are going to be your descendants, he still doesn't have a child. 
in his 90s, but he never wavered. He trusted God and God's play. Listen, I don't know who you are or where you're from this morning, but whatever you walked in here with, whatever situation you're in, you may feel like it's over. You may feel like it's the end. You may feel like you're on the battlefield and you've been cut open and you're bleeding out. And, and, and the dark from the corners of your eyes, you may feel like you're, you're just a moment away from death itself. But yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. For God is, the Lord is with me. To trust God with your life, it's easy in the highs, but even in the lows, in the valleys, even when the hot breath of death is making the hairs on the back of your neck uh, extend, in those moments even more so to trust the Lord, it brings glory to God. Look at that main slide again. We won't go through it, but being thankful, being content. The verse that Ryan read at the beginning, if, you're, if you read all the way through verse 20, it is the glory of God that supplies our needs when we are content with what we have. Again, trusting the Lord, being thankful for the things we have. I'll never forget when we, I had been here a couple years, we had been planting the church, we were in a tough spot. Man, those first years, I don't know how we made it. I was the only person on staff. We were running about 250 people in just uh, a couple years, and I was dying. I, I, I brought 12 guys and made them elders, 12 elders for a church of 250. Stupidest thing I've ever done, because I didn't even know, I didn't even know what to do with them. So it ended up being this boardroom meeting where they made a bunch of decisions that made my life even harder. I'd walk out of an elder room with more work than I had going in. Because they were like, we should do this. We should do this. All right, see you, Brent. Have a good time. Boo. I mean, I was like, I was drowning. They kept handing me babies. <laughs> Which is a Jim Gaffigan joke, if you didn't know. You know what it's like to have four kids? Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's <laughs> what it's like to have four kids. <laughs> Getting off track. Yeah, and I, I was talking, I had a friend uh, who was a youth pastor in uh, Sevierville, Tennessee. And he wanted to plant a church. And he was talking about, uh, you know, I'm thinking about coming to Atlanta, plant a church. I was like, you need, to, you need to meet all the guys in Acts 29. So he joins Acts 29 because I invited him into the network. And like two months later, somebody gave him $4 million to plant a church in Midtown. It was on that day that I had a conversation with the Lord. Because <laughs> I'm drowning and nobody gives a crap. And he just walks into town and gets $4 million. That's why we have a value here for our staff and for our elders. The value is stay in your yard. Why is that important? Because being content is godly. Being content with your station, with your yard. Grass may be higher in your yard. Your neighbor, it may look, his life may look easy. People are writing them checks left and right. Where's my check? You know, every young Joseph with a dream needs a Pharaoh, somebody to fund the dream. Sometimes we look, it's, grass is always greener in your neighbor's yard, but that's not where God puts you. 
God puts you right where you are right now. And to practically bring glory to God is to be content in that place, to be thankful with what you do have instead of grumbling about what you do not. Giving glory to God with our lives is not as hard as we make it. There's no religious formula. There's there's, there's no inner sanctum of ideology where we finally master bringing glory to God at the 33rd level of the secret society. (laughs) That's just for you. I don't know. There's somebody in here from a skull and bones background. Bible says avoid stuff like that. It's very simple to bring glory to God with our lives. In chapter 10, in this context, what brings glory to God? Living in and using our freedoms in what we eat and in what we drink and in whatever we do. Man, to do it with a focus on God is allowing me this life. God is giving me this breath. I want to honor him and give him glory in everything that I do. The only, the only catchback from freedom is to remember who's standing beside you. Because there are people with weaker conscience that we do not want to offend. But we don't let them affect our conscience and we don't live in guilt because their conscience is low when they're not around. We live to the fullest in the freedoms that God has given us. Let's go back to the front and start. If you're ready for the sermon to start now. Just kidding. That was the big idea here. Everything we do, the purpose of Christian freedom. Whether you say, I'm not going to listen to any secular music. Man, don't listen to secular music and bring glory to God. If you're like, I'm going to jam to CCR up to Red Top. Do it for the glory of God. If your conscience is clean, it brings God glory to use those freedoms that he has given you. Verse 23, all things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. Now listen very carefully. This is not talking about you personally. Although that would be true personally. But the whole context of this is corporate. Us together. If what we do is not helpful for those around us. We need to rethink our strategy of life. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. Some of your Bibles will use the word not all things edify. And again, that's not yourself. The context is community. That word edify literally means to build a house, which is what we're doing as God's people together. Church is a community. And to maintain unity of all these different kinds of people from coming from different kinds of places with all these different kinds of convictions... We need to live, when we're together, we need to live in such a way where we are building up this house. We're putting the rafters in right. The two by fours are are up to code. This is the way in which we should. And Paul is setting this church up because remember, when we get to chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts, there's people in the church who are misusing their gifts. They're great people with great gifts, but they're making the church, all the church service, the corporate worship, all about their gifts. Paul says, don't do that. Your gift is great. But you know what really builds up the house? You know what really edifies everybody in the church? Chapter 13, love. The way we love one another. Do we have freedom? Yes. Should we use our freedom for the glory of God? Yes. 
But should you invite a vegetarian to your cook-off? Probably not. Because they're going to walk away with questions about you going, why does he eat meat? Doesn't he know that death is because of sin? And, right? They're not to the place they can handle it yet. And God always calls the stronger brothers to bear with, to Brent Stevens' translation, to put up with the weaker. All those we're going to see in a moment, the weaker need to grow up a little bit too. We're going to get there. Let no one, verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. How we treat one another matters. Why would you? Whatever secondary issue, there's so many hills that we die on that we should not. Somebody wants to to burn uh, some kind of oil in their house and you read somewhere that that kind of oil was part of a witch doctor voodoo ceremony somewhere in deep south Louisiana. If the person burning that oil in their house, it doesn't bother them, why would you come and try to make it an issue in their life? Just be cool. Be cool. But this is what we do. This is the world we live in. We are taught. You know, my, my, my wife is, uh, you know, she's got a master's degree in reading and education. She was a teacher before we had kids. We took some time off and, and homeschooled. Did, uh, we did a lot of things for our kids' education, but they're all older now. So she wanted to use her degree. She's back in school. And, man, the things that teachers have to go through, because even children are conditioned to have a chip on their shoulder. Our country right now is the most easily offended group of people on planet Earth. We are looking for problems everywhere. And guess what the Bible teaches? If you seek, you will find. It's not hard to look out our windows and find a problem with the world. It's not hard to come into a church and find something that you don't like. I can't tell you how many people have come in here and they don't like the way, you know, you don't have a full band and rock and roll. Where's the smoke machine and the passion movement and church worship should look like this. So you guys change the way everything you're doing. And we say, we're not going to do that. And they're, oh, you're just so proud and arrogant. I am so sick of people telling me I am proud and arrogant. I'm like, think about what you just said. We won't do it your way, so we're proud and arrogant. Hmm. I think the pride is misplaced. Maybe we should not look at the elders of this church. Maybe we should go home and look in the freaking mirror. Do everything for the good of the neighbor. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's about all of us together. And that's why Ephesians says you got to fight. you got to fight. for. Of course we all have a way that we would like to do it. The greatest thing I have learned in leadership in the church is to let other people do it the way they want. Do I have convictions? Yep. Do I have ideas about the way things should look? Yep. Am I, am I doing that work in that part of the church? Nope. So let them do it how they want. <laughs> Woo! 
That's, it's, 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 it's so simple. But we make it so hard with our egos and with our theology and with what we think. We make it harder on others. And the church splinters and loses effectiveness, loses influence. Gospel being proclaimed. Why would you want to do anything that would cause that to lose influence in the community? People are going to stand before God. People who destroy the church with their ridiculous preferences. They're going to stand before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you destroy the church, God destroys you. We got to come together, not trying to offend and not being offended. But those with weak consciences need to grow up and realize not everybody has to live like you. And those with strong consciences need to realize when they can use those freedoms to glorify God and when they should not. There are some things I'm just never going to do around some of you. But when I go home and I shut my door and me and Sarah sit down on the couch, we're going to turn on the office and we're going to laugh even at the dirty parts. (laughs) Sometimes they're the most funny anyway. (laughs) But I would never show an office clip, even if it would be awesome. Even if it would make a point, I'm not going to show that in church. Because I don't want to offend anyone who has, that's that's hellavision. I got an aunt who used to call the TV Hellavision. Why, why would you do that to a weaker brother? You shouldn't. All right, let's move. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Watch this. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, should Christians have unbelieving friends? Yes. If you don't, what does that say about you? What it says is you're not a very good evangelist. At the end, Paul wants to be all things to all people so that all people may be saved. The worst thing that happens to Christians is they sit in their little theological circles where they all read the same books, where they all dress the same, where they all think the same, where they all worship the same, where they all talk the same, and what they don't realize, their circle is really easy, but it's just them four and no more. And they're, they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And it's what's happened. I've been in so many churches. They just keep losing people and losing people and losing people. And nobody's being reached. And the gospel's not being proclaimed. The church is on the sign outside. But they, they're not impacting the world at all with the way that they live. And in their minds, they're, it's just because the world's so bad and we're so holy. You're not so holy. You're a terrible evangelist. Of course it's easier to be only with people who think like you, look like you, and worship like you do. But that is not what God calls us to. You can think however you want, but be around people who think differently than you. They should be, when's the last time an unbeliever invited you over for dinner? If it's been a while, that may be a problem. If an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go... Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And when you go to their house, whatever they put before you, 
Enjoy it to the glory of God. Eat to the glory of God. Drink to the glory of God. But if somebody else is there who has a weak conscience, who that, that, that meat came from somewhere else, hey, if somebody said, you go to, a, you go to a humble, your neighbor's house, and there's another Christian there from your church, and he sits down a Bud Light. You know what the Bible says? Even though you probably hate to do it, I hope you'd hate to do it, but if they serve it to you, you should drink it with no guilt in your conscience at all, unless somebody else says, you know what Bud Light just did. <laughs> then you know what the Bible says? Read the next verse. Then, because somebody's going to be offended. This is a no-win situation. This is what they call a no-win situation. Either the person that served you and you're like, no way, they're going to be offended. Or the person's like, you know, Bud Light, we're on a boycott. Or they're going to be offended. So who should you offend? The unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. Watch this. But if someone says to you, that has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of their conscience. Their conscience is weak in that area. So instead of offending the weak conscience, you should offend the unbeliever. Isn't the Bible awesome? It really does give us great leadership, excellent life advice. For the sake of conscience, not your conscience, but theirs. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Those of you in here with strong, free, you've been Christians a long time. You know God's word. There were some things you were bound up as a young Christian, but God has freed you from those things. You can actually play hearts and spades with real cards. You don't associate them with gambling any longer. Right For those of you with conscience where you're able to do some things that even you couldn't do earlier in your life. Don't allow the weak conscience. We've got to serve and love our weak conscience, brothers. But we don't allow our conscience to go back and get bound up in all that same stuff. Enjoy your freedom. Just not around the weak brother. If I partake with thankfulness, Why? Because if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense. Here, here's Paul's way of looking at the Corinthian church and saying, just be cool. Give no, don't look for areas where you're going to offend someone. Be cool. Give no offense to Jews because they're very religious based, very rule oriented. But don't give any offense to the Greeks either who are more philosophical, ideological. Or to the church of God. When we all come together, man, our hope should be gospel growth for everybody. The strong and conscience should be uh, renewed and refilled in their faith for God and, and used the, that freedom to bring glory to God. Those with weak conscience should be spurned to, to maturity and spiritual growth and discipleship where they can be, they grow in more and more freedom. Because God has made us free. Again, not, we're not free to do things that are forbidden. There are some things that are forbidden in which we repent of when we find ourselves doing them. But everything else, 
You know, you walk outside and there's a guy with a vape thing. Dude, vaping's not my thing. I think it's crazy. I think it's dumb. I think it's immature. I think it's stupid. But guess what? If somebody's going to vape, let them, let them vape. Is it a bad example to your children? Yep. So just cover their eyes. It's like the, it's like the Karen on my street. Don't drive so fast. My kids play in the road. How about your kids play in the backyard? <laughs> Why do I got to play in the middle of the street? <laughs> There's a way we can work this out where it's not we're right and everybody else is wrong. We got to work together. I told you last night, I think this was the sermon this came out. We were talking about what makes a marriage good. What makes a marriage good is coming into the marriage, understanding that divorce is not an option. That way when problems arise, you have to work it out. Too many of us in this easy day of living, we don't work anything out. We just, you're different than me, and we blow people off, and we go find a new church. We go find a new group of friends. That's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to, at times, lay down even our freedoms and rights for the good of the whole. Do not seek to offend Jews, Greeks, or or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage. Remember chapter 9, Paul says, I could have come, I worked hard for you. I could have demanded payment for the work and the service that I provided you, but I didn't. Why? Because I felt like it would hinder my ministry that I was doing in and among you. So I laid down my rights in those moments. Not because I didn't deserve what I deserve, but for the good of the whole. So be like me. Why? Because Paul wants many to be saved. Remember why we're here. We're not here to fight over, can we sing this song or that song? We're not here to fight over the temperature in the room. I know it's cold, but I feel like I'm on the sun right now. (laughs) Look at my hair. (laughs) Right? We can make a thousand issues about a thousand different things, but that's not why we come. We come to remember salvation, a God who loved us and came all the way to us, a God that we could never get to because we have sinned against him, but he came all the way to us and did what we didn't. He lived the perfect life that we have not. Then he died in our place for our sins. We come here to remember him, to grow in him, to refocus on him so that our lives may bring him, whether weak conscience or strong conscience, that our our lives should bring him the glory he deserves so that everyone else in the darkness can see the light, the true light that shines upon creator God who is glorious inherently God wants us to be his hands and feet that people might be saved here and now be an imitator Paul has the talk about somebody with pride Paul has the audacity to say follow me do what I'm doing be an imitator of me Because I am following Christ. That is not a statement that comes from pride. That's actually a statement that comes from a deep-rooted humility. 
Before Christ, Paul was a somebody, remember. He was top echelon of society. A a Jew's Jew, a Pharisee's Pharisee, an incredibly educated man, uh, attacked by the the biggest guy, the biggest deal in Judaism, Gamaliel, trained under Gamaliel. That's like, oh yeah, Elon Musk just called me. He wants me to, uh, to, to intern under him to take his job when he wants to retire. That's a big deal. That's who Paul was. But what does Paul say now? He says, look, I'm following Christ. And I'm following him as hard as I can. So you follow me as I follow him. Your life is more than just your little book club or your theological circle where everybody thinks the same. We are here to make a difference for Jesus. And the more of us that lock together to do that, the more influence we will have for him and the more baptisms that we will see. It takes every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we are. This is a stinging sermon because it hits us all right where it needs to hit us. We are all easily offended. We all find fault with others so easily. Change us. We repent of our self-righteousness. We repent of our sin. We repent of our non-evangelistic lives. Forgive us. Grow us. Mature us. That we might see many saved through our obedience to your word. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.